team. All right, my friends, you have your Bibles with you. Let's open back up to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We're going to be in 938. So big number 9, little number 38. Mark is towards the back of the Bible. If you need a Bible, there's a blue one in the pew in the chair underneath in front of you. Go ahead and open that one up with us. Um, re- reading the Bible, reading God's Word, the Creator of the universe has written a book for us. Isn't that amazing? And He tells us who He is, who we are, and how we can be with Him. Uh, so there is just about nothing more precious on this earth than the book that you have in front of you. So open that one up with us. Mark is towards the back of the Bible. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Big number 9, little number 38. I had a professor at seminary, one, probably my favorite, one of my favorite classes, one of my favorite professors, just because he had this one quirk, okay? He had this one, one little weird thing that he would love to do. He loved to study a particular secret society. And it wasn't, re- it was kind of a semi-secret society. You would recognize the name, but they did secretive things. And he loved to study this society, and he would tell us every once in a while, if we could get him talking about it, he would tell us some of the things that he discovered. And he let us know that one day he found out how to do their secret handshake. That exciting. Ooh, isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? He even told us this story. As he's driving through his hometown, he knew that a few of the police officers in the hometown was part of this secret society. And one day he was speeding as you never do, and I, of course, never do. He was speeding, and he saw all those lights, and his, little heart, his heart skipped a beat. And as he was pulled over, he thought, you know what, I'm going to try something. police officer came up to his window, and he says, Hello, sir, can I shake your hand? Reached out, gave him the secret handshake. The officer said, have a nice day, sir. Turned around, got in his car, and left. And I begged him to tell me that handshake. He never would. What do you think about that? Kind of cool, kind of spooky, kind of weird. What's going on there? What's going on there? Well, that was a way for that secret society to tell who was in and who is out. Give the handshake. You do it right. He knows you're in. You do it wrong or you don't know it, you're out. As humans, that's how our minds work. We want to know who is in and we want to know who is out out. We have all kinds of mechanisms for this. Some of it we know. We say, this is how we're going to do it. Thank you, Bob. My lovely assistant, Bob, here. Give him a round of applause. Yeah. Our brains, sometimes we know exactly what's going on. We know we're doing this. We know, I'm going to do this thing so I can tell somebody I'm in. Or I'm going to do this so I can tell if they are in. Got things like handshakes or passwords. All kinds of things like that. Sometimes we do this subconsciously. Sometimes I might not even think that. But if I get to know Mark, and Mark has particular preferences that are the same as mine, what do I like to do? My brain, I go, he's in. He's like me. And then sometimes, if Mark has different preferences than I do, what do I say? He's out. He's out. We've got all kinds of things like that, and sometimes they can be very, very bad. Sometimes it's very bad to say who's in and who's out. Because sometimes we do it by things like what you wear, or how you vote, 
or your preferences. And sometimes we just use these things to say who's in and who's out. And what do we do? In our sinful hearts, we like to treat people who is out in a bad way. You ever feel that? Has that ever happened to you? Sure. Even my little girls are starting to understand what that feels like. You know, sometimes they're in, sometimes they're out with their little play friends. You know that. Your kids have experienced that. You experienced that even as a child. We have this thing in our mind to say who's in and who is out. And it can be very bad. But for believers, is it bad for believers to know who's in and who's out when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ? No. For believers, it is not only a good thing to know who's in and who's out. Not only is it an important thing to know who's in and who's out. It is a necessary thing for faithful followers of Jesus to know who is in, who is a believer, and who is out. Why is that good? Is it good so that we could treat people differently? No, of course not. It is good because Jesus has commanded His faithful followers to make more faithful followers. We say it often. Why has God left you on this planet? Wouldn't it have been easier in a lot of ways for as soon as I gave my heart to Christ, as soon as I believed and repented, wouldn't it be easier if God just beamed me up to heaven? But He hasn't. He's left you here. And He's left this church here for one reason. To glorify Him by making faithful followers of Jesus. So it is necessary for us to know who is in, who is a believer, who is out, who is not saved. Jesus says it this way at the end of His ministry, right before He ascends into heaven, He gives His disciples the great commission. Commission to send them out. The mission is this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. To follow Jesus in that great mission, to obey our Savior in that great mission, we must know who is in and who is out. To faithfully follow Jesus, we must, 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 must develop a heart for making faithful followers of Jesus. And if we are going to develop a heart, for making faithful followers of Jesus, we need to know how to discern who is in and who is out. And so we're going to answer three questions today about who is in and who is out. We're going to answer this question. This is kind of the base number one question we have to ask before we can really start making faithful followers. We have to ask this. Is there really an in and an out to following Jesus? Second question we have to answer. Well, then who determines who is in and who is out? And finally, how should we feel about who is in and who is out? Let's discover the answers to these questions together. Let's read Mark chapter 9, big number 9, little number 38. We're only going to read the little number 
to little number 42. Just a few verses here. Four verses together. It goes like this. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. (coughs) And we tried to stop him. Because he was not following us. Circle that us in your Bible. He was not following us. Who cares if they're following us? Following Jesus. Us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward to spread evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it will be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled with two hand, than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Man, that's heavy stuff. Okay, what's going on here? Don't forget, the last few passages, um, we're talking about who is the greatest. Who is the greatest? Uh, three passages ago, the disciples were trying to cast a demon out and they couldn't do it because they weren't relying on Jesus, they were relying on themselves. And then they start arguing about who is the greatest. We couldn't cast this demon out. We have this question about, can I be great in the kingdom of God? And then we, we couldn't do this thing. We couldn't cast out demons. And they're arguing about this. And Jesus gives us this parable. He says, you want to know who's the greatest? He sets a child before them and says, my followers will be like this child. Whoever's last will be first. And then John pipes up and he says, Okay, wait, we're talking about being the greatest. Jesus, this guy, the stranger, was casting out demons in your name. There's probably some jealousy there because we couldn't do that. And then he was doing it. What's going on there? What's going on there? We told him to stop. We told him to stop. We told him to stop because he must be out and not in. Because he is not following us. So, our first question Is there such a thing as in or out with Jesus? Is there such a thing as in or out with Jesus? Our culture hates that. Our culture on the face of it, when you dig down deep, this is not true, but on the face of it, our culture loves the word tolerance. What they mean by that is, I'm going to leave you alone, you leave me alone. And so our culture would say, and they say over and over again, and some believers were tempted to believe this, some, so our culture would say, no, there's no such thing as an in or out with Jesus. We're all just drifting along. Everybody is fine. When it comes to God, when it comes to Jesus, our society likes to tell the parable of the six blind men and the elephant. You remember this parable? You probably learned it when you were a kid. There's an elephant sitting in a field and six blind men happen upon this elephant. And they ask themselves, what is this elephant? One of them grabs the ear and says, well, an elephant is a fan. One of them grabs the trunk 
It says, an, no, no, an elephant's not a fan. An elephant is a snake. One of them grabs the leg and says, there's a tree. One of them touches the side and says, no, look how, it's a, it's a wall. One of them touches the tail and says, an elephant is a rope. And one of them touches the tusk and says, the elephant is the spear. And the moral of that story for society is, it's all your perspective. You're all coming at it in a different way. And we're all right. You can apply that to many areas of life, but the dangerous way our society applies that to Jesus is to say, there's really no right or wrong. There's really no in or out. You see a spear, I see a fan. We're all going to be okay. Another way to tell this story, our society tells this story, is a movie I saw recently where a priest was dying and the main character comes to the priest and the main character has always been dealt with atheism and the priest holds his hand and as he's his dying breath, he says, I don't care what you believe, just believe. Our society likes to tell the story like this. There is no in and out. We are all just floating through space and we're all going to be okay. So mind your own business. But when it comes to Jesus, who should we ask about that? We need to see what Jesus says. Is there such a thing as in or out with Jesus? Well, when we hear Him clearly speak through the inspired, authoritative, inerrant Word of God that records what He says when we read His words, yes, there is such a thing as in and out with Jesus. It is crystal clear. There is in and out. There is saved and lost. There is a group destined for heaven and a group destined for hell. That is truth. That is basic truth of the universe. That is truth for eternity. That is the most important truth in the world. Jesus says things like this, for the One who is not against us is for us. Against us, for us. In and out. He says things like, whoever gives you a cup of water in My name will receive His reward. There are some who will be rewarded and some who will not. He says, the little ones who believe in Me, they are believers and there are not. As we, that was just in our passage. As we extend it out through the whole of Scripture, I couldn't, we couldn't take up all of our, we, we'd take up all of our time to do just a minuscule percentage of where Jesus says there's an in and an out. John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. That's Jesus' own words. There's an in and an out. We could go on and on and on. There are, Jesus says there are goats destined for hell and sheep destined for heaven. There are tares destined for hell and wheat destined for heaven. There are faithful servants, unfaithful servants. There are the repentant and unrepentant, the elect and the non-elect, the called and the not called. This is a basic truth. And our society might like the, the story of the blind men and the elephant, but the truth is, here's the truth. An elephant is not a spear. An elephant is not a fan. 
An elephant is not a wall. It's not a rope. It's not a tree. It's not a snake. An elephant is an elephant. And we might get warm and fuzzy feelings inside when we could say we all come together and we're all right. That might give us warm and fuzzy feelings, but that is not true. And it gets even worse for our society. What if knowing that elephant was an elephant determines your eternity? What if that elephant was a man and that man was the Son of God and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. It does you no good to think that the Son of Man is a spear or a tree or a wall or just a man or just a prophet or just one way. Jesus is the way. So the priest telling that man that he doesn't care what he believes, just believe. Just believe that, it's a spe- that Jesus is a spear. That priest telling that man that is giving him something that is incredibly hateful. It's not tolerant. It's not a nice thing. It's not a loving thing. It is a hateful thing to tell somebody you can believe the Son of God who who gave Himself up for all who call upon His name. You You can believe whatever you want about Him. That is a hateful thing. And so of course, as we look at if I look at my own heart, I ask myself, how many times have I been hateful to people around me? There is such a thing as in or out with Jesus. And what this should do is this should propel us, renew our desire to share the good news of Jesus with those around us, shouldn't it? Family members, neighbors, co-workers, friends, enemies. That realization should put a fire under the people of God. That's why we're here. So, Yes, there's such a thing as an in or out with Jesus, and that should spur in us a desire to share the good news. Now, the question, there's a yes, there's an in or an out. So now the question is, who gets to determine what is in and what is out? What does that mean? Who separates everybody like that? And so what, what Satan loves to do, Satan loves to tempt society by saying, hey, we're all okay. Don't worry about it. That's how Satan loves to, to tempt the world. Satan loves to tempt the church this way. There's an in and out, and you get to determine who's in and out. This is the a great temptation in the conservative Christian church. Do you hear how the disciples thought that they got to write the story on who gets in and out? This man is speaking good of Jesus. He's doing it in such a way that he is casting out demons, multiple demons, in the name of the authority of Jesus. God is working through him, casting out demons, and disciples go, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, 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 wait, wait, uh You're not following us. He was not following us. And that is a great temptation for believers to say he must be out because he is not following us. Our temptation is to say when people don't follow me in precisely the same way that I am following Jesus, they must be out. And I must 
cast them off. And our temptation is not to do it about things that really matter, like the gospel and what's written in this book. Most of the time, I cast people out because of the way they vote or because of their preferences or because of how they treat me once in a while. You're not following us. You're not following me. We say things like, my church must look a certain way, sing a certain way, dress a certain way, meet at a certain time, have the right instruments on stage, have the right stuff in or out of their refrigerator at home, watch the right news stations. We say things like that. I've heard things like this. And when we say that, we are threatening to cast people off because they don't follow us. Follow us. Who determines who's in and out? Well, Jesus says, what are you doing stopping him? Jesus gives us every reason to believe that stranger is a faithful follower of Jesus. That stranger had faith in the authority of Jesus. That means that stranger believed he is sent from God. He's the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is who He said He is. That means working under the authority of Jesus. His miracles He was performing was a witness to the world that Jesus is who He said He is. That man, that stranger, was storming the gates of hell in the name of Jesus, casting out demons. And let's, let us not forget, disciples, that demons don't, aren't cast out just because we say they are. God works through His faithful people. And this man was casting out demons. He might, see, he might have looked different than the disciples. He might have acted differently. He did act differently because they couldn't cast out demons. This man can. He probably believed a bit differently. They've had three years of a master's degree in Jesus. They, pre, they probably had a deeper understanding. But he was faithfully following Jesus and that made him in. So what do we look for? How do we discern then? If it's not us, if it's not, I, I got to make sure you're all lining up behind me and in step with me exactly, with my preferences. If, it, if that's not, if it's not about me, how do we discern who's in and out? How do we know if someone is lost? Jesus sets the standard this way. Shows up in the book of Mark, the beginning, for almost the first words out of Jesus' mouth is this The kingdom of God is near. That's who's in, right? We want to get in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's what makes you in. Repent and believe the good news. I didn't hear anything about preferences there. I didn't hear anything about voting record there. I didn't hear anything about what's in your refrigerator there. I didn't hear anything about the sins that you commit at home there struggle with there? I didn't hear anything about the way you treat me there. Repent and believe. It's worth talking about. What is this Gospel that we believe? What is the essential doctrine? What must we believe to be saved? 
Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. You want to know what's, what's the foundation that the Christians were preaching in the first church? Paul gives us a peek into what the, a pastor, an elder would stand up before the church and they would say these exact words. Okay? This is what they would say. For I deliver to you, Paul says, as a first importance, what I also received from the apostles, from the churches. This is what the churches would say. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Most are still alive. If you question this, go ask them. He appeared to 500 of the brothers. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. That was the foundation of the churches. They'd gather together and they'd, they'd quote this to each other. What do we believe? Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he appeared. How cool would it be to be in that church, that early church where you, you hear this, your kids are hearing this, and they go, Daddy, who, who did he appear to? And you're in that first church, you go, man, he appeared to Bob. Go ask him. Bailey, go ask Bob. That'd be cool. That's what it means to believe. We believe those things. Believing those things means you are in. Believe the good news. That is the good news. Jesus died according to the Scriptures for our sins. He rose again on the third day. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is coming back to take us up and be with Him. Believe those things. Repent and believe the Gospel. So what does repentance mean? To be in, it means to turn from the world and to pursue Jesus. To walk and follow Jesus. That is what repentance means. And here's the thing. This is what gets us rattled as we discern each other, as we discern, as we should discern our neighbors. Are they believers or not? These, this is a qualification. Do they believe and have they repented? That's it. Isn't it beautifully simple? Isn't it beautifully simple that no one's going through your refrigerator or your voting record? No one has to pick through your brain to make sure every single thought of yours is under control. No one has to do that. Are you believing the good news? And have you repented? And I think the truth of Scripture would say this, are you continually repenting because you will not get it right until you see Jesus face to face? That's it. That's what it means to be in. The disciples added this. You got, yeah, sure, you got to do those things, but you also have to follow us. No, no, no. It's not too simple, disciples. It's beautifully simple. It's beautifully simple. The temptation for us will always be to see people doing it a little bit differently and then to cast them off. Are you with me? Am I crazy or does that go on? I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Okay, once we repent and believe, there are things that we need to do. There are ways to follow Jesus closely. There are times when we don't follow Him closely. There are decisions we make that are right and wrong. 
Those things all happen. But casting people off for being different is not the right way. The thing that always comes to my mind, we're Baptists. You know why we're Baptists? That thing back there is a baptistry. We believe to follow Jesus in obedience to His declaration to be baptized is immersion. Baptizo is what that says in Greek. That means to take somebody, put them all the way under the water, bring it up. We think that. We believe clearly that's what it shows in Scripture. You know who doesn't believe that? Methodists. They sprinkle. I've heard many times Baptists saying, those Methodists, are they even Christians? Because they do things differently than us. Is that a main and a plain thing in Scripture? Is that part of the Gospel which we believe? Does that affect repentance? Is that something that we should cast each other off for? For getting that wrong? We believe that they're wrong. Is that the end of the world to be wrong about that? No! Can we, can we love our Methodist brothers and sisters? Yes! Should we say if they repent and believe and get that wrong about baptism, are they in? Yes, because repentance and believing gets you in, not method or mode of baptism. That's what we're talking about. The shame we bring to the Gospel when our denominations fling mud at each other over things that don't matter for eternity. Not it. I would not go to a Methodist church because I think that's an important thing that they get wrong. But I must never say that that secondary issue means I should cast them off as if they are not believers. Are you with me? Because I don't, I don't determine. Following us is not what gets them in. Following the good news of Jesus Christ through repentance. There is such a thing as an in and out. I don't get to decide what's in and out. You don't get to decide what's in and out. And then Jesus lets us know. And then Jesus lets us know how should we feel when we try to discern who is in and out? Read this with me if you will. Let's read verse 42 together again. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in Me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So, as Jesus is talking, remember, remember the context. Paragraphs are not inspired. Paragraphs are put there by us. Headings are not inspired. Headings are... The words themselves, the verses themselves are the inspired, authoritative, inerrant Word of God. And so what we have here is, don't forget, where this conversation is going on. Jesus is probably still holding this baby. You remember that? Remember I used Charlie last? Well, your first service. Your second service, I used Charlie, picked her up. He was holding her. Jesus is still holding her. This child that He's holding, He is the parable for who believers are. We should be like children. And then Jesus uses this... Think, think about the... the darkness of this the the depth of this jesus uses he says you remember you remember when the romans executed those insurrectionists in the sea of galilee you remember that you remember what they did those insurrectionists the romans captured 
they took those giant millstones, those giant stones that donkeys pull around and around in the mill to break up the, the grain or the wheat. They took those. They ran a rope through the hole in the middle, ran it around those guys' neck and around their body, and they threw them in the sea. And they sunk down and they drowned. And no one can... No one, their families couldn't get the bodies. They couldn't have a, a nice burial. They were gone. You remember that? Those men have it better than anyone who will cause a little one who believes in me to sin. How should that make us feel? What is he talking about there? I think he's talking about two things. I think we need to get two really important things from this. That should make us tremble. Because those disciples have just confessed to Jesus that one of His believers was casting out demons in His name under His authority. And they tried to stop Him. Which means they were doing all that they could to, to stop this man from obeying God. They were doing all they could to get this man to sin by rejecting God's command for his life. What are they doing? They're trying to cause a little one who believes in Jesus to sin. Who's getting this millstone? Who's being tossed in the sea? The disciples are. Wow. So what should that make us do? Well, I guarantee what it made the disciples do made them tremble. That should make us tremble. That should make us realize that yes, we are called by our God, by our Savior to discern who is in and out so that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus. Bring those who are out to those who are in. And so we can embrace those who are in as our brothers and sisters. That's why we do these things. That should make us tremble to know if we do this selfishly, self-righteously, if we try to bring division among God's children in an unjust way, it would have been better for us to be cast in the sea. So Christians, discern carefully. Discern with a trembling heart. Do not be quick to cast off people out of the kingdom because of preferences, desires, politics, interpersonal scuffles. Be careful not to cause one another to sin. This should cause us to tremble, but it should also cause, cause us to rest. This should also make us rest in the fact that Jesus cares so much about you, Christian. Jesus is, he does this, in, he always speaks in such a beautiful, such a precise, such a, just a, such a powerful way. So he speaks in such a way that will make them tremble for trying to cast off this believer. But he also speaks in a way that should bring them comfort and rest. Because maybe some of them had genuine fear that that man casting out demons was going to start teaching people and then he was going to pull believers away into hell. Maybe that's what they were worried about. 
Maybe they were genuinely concerned about the doctrinal integrity of people that were going to be following Jesus. Maybe that's what they were concerned about. And so Jesus stops that concern by saying, hey, I got this. Don't imagine, don't imagine that some false teacher is going to pull the wool over my eyes. Don't don't imagine that some human being has the power to open my hand and remove my brothers and sisters that I have died for. Don't imagine they have that power. It says, don't worry. If someone causes these brothers and sisters to sin, I'm on it. They're in my hands. And Christian, that's how much God loves you. That's how much God wants to take care of you. You're in His hand. I love this. One of the other reasons that we're Baptists is we believe in perseverance of the saints because Jesus says, you believer, repent and believe you're in My hand. He says, who in the world is strong enough to snatch you from My hand? No one. So Jesus says, maybe you feel like Christian, maybe you feel, maybe you're quick to cast people off because you feel like the little boy with the finger in the dike. You remember this? In the Netherlands, they build these huge dikes, these big huge dams to keep the water out so that they're under sea level and they can have towns, villages, and fields. So that they're keeping the water up. And this old story says that a little boy was walking across the dike, walking under the dike, and he saw a, a leak and a Burton water out. And he knew if that leak continued, it'd bring the whole thing down and wash out his whole town. So he runs up, sticks his finger in the dike for hours and hours and hours. He saves the town. Maybe that's what you feel like, Christian. Maybe that's what the disciples felt like. That they had to run, run, run. And all these leaks are coming and they like this and they sing that way and they believe this and they voted this way and good Christians wouldn't do that. And so I'm putting all my fingers in the dike because I'm the one holding back the water. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like you have to be the gatekeeper. That if somebody does it wrong and follows differently than you, then you've got to be the one to fix it. Jesus says, hey, rest. Rest. You don't need your finger in the dike. You don't need to be the gatekeeper. I have not called you to make sure every little detail in other people's lives match up with the way you want. I have called you to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I've called you to love people. And so God calls us to charity, grace, and mercy. So examine our hearts. We've all got room to do here. We've all got work to do. Examine our hearts. Are you quick to cast off people because of preferences? Are you quick to cast off people because they've sinned against you? Do you feel like the little boy with the finger in the dike? I think Jesus would say, rest. Do not cast people off in such a manner. Rest. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? We have been invited, church, to participate in the most glorious mission. A loving God taking His enemies and making them sons and daughters. A loving God taking His enemies and making them guests at the most fabulous banquet the universe has ever seen. 
And he does this all not through perfect lives or perfect righteousness from his enemies. He does this by through faith in Jesus Christ. And we get to participate in this mission. This mission is taking place all around us at all times. There are men and women who are lost that Jesus is reaching out to and He is willing to use us for that. So let us faithfully proclaim the good news, understanding that many around us are on their way to hell and that they can be saved not by our rules or following everything that I do, my preferences and desires. They can be saved through simple repentance and belief in the good news of Jesus Christ. And let's let that tremble our hearts. And let's let that give our hearts rest. I'm ask the worship team to come up. I'm ask the worship team to come up. Here's the work I would like us to do. Here's the work I'd like us to do. During this song, during this song, is there someone in your life that you've cast off for silly things? Is there someone in your life that you have proclaimed as a non-believer because of preferences or desires or, or anything outside of believing and repenting? During this song, I would encourage you, think about that person. Think, have God bring somebody to mind and pray that God forgives you and that God gives you a heart that loves them, a heart that gives them charity. Maybe you're here. Maybe you can't. Somebody doesn't come to mind. Maybe you have somebody that comes to mind that's a non-believer, that's out, that's on their way to hell. Maybe that's a family member. Maybe that's a neighbor. Ask God to give you a spirit of intensity to pursue them, to share the gospel with them in love and charity. Ask God to bring somebody to to your mind. And if you have not repented and believed, maybe you've done everything else. Maybe you've followed me perfectly, but you've never repented and believed. Maybe you've been a good Christian your whole life, but you've never repented and believed. We want to call you. Make it real. Don't follow me. Don't follow grandma. Don't follow mom and dad. Are you following Jesus?